0: You're listening to Evolution Digital, where we talk about how various industries have adopted technology to stay relevant and competitive in today's digital market. I'm Tracy Sheckel. Welcome back to Evolution Digital. We usually talk about how various industries adapt to digital technology. Today, we're going to talk about a government entity that was established in response to digital technology. Through the Maine Broadband Coalition, I have been acquainted with today's guest since I joined Otelco nearly six years ago. Although her official title is Executive Director of the Connect Maine Authority, to me, she is Maine's broadband maven. Peggy Schaefer, thanks for being here. Hey,
1: thanks for having me.
0: I hope that nickname doesn't stick, but I kind of hope it does. (laughs) Let's start with a little bit of background. Your career spans a lot of years working in state government, lobbying for the Department of Economic and Community Development, serving as a small business advocate in the Secretary of State's office, one of the founders and vice chair, I believe, of the Maine Broadband Coalition in its early days. What brought you to the Connect Me Authority? What drew you there?
1: Well, In 2019, when uh, Governor Mills was elected, she promoted the current Connect Me director at the time, Heather Johnson, to the commissioner of the ECD. And um, Heather called me one day and said, you really should apply for this job. You know, you you would be very good at it and we'd like to have your name in. So, you know, I hadn't really been thinking of it because actually, quite frankly, I was thinking a little bit more about retirement than a new challenge. But I, you know, sat back and thought, you know what, I really do want to make significant changes in this state. And this is how, this is one avenue to do that. And to continue the work that I had started with the Broadband Coalition and to really begin to sort of concretize that into state policy and state action. So that's sort of what I'm trying to do at Connect Maine.
0: Well, so far, you're doing a great job. I'm surprised you're not like, I don't know, in the fetal position, sucking your thumb with some of the crazies that have gone on in the last year. but. God bless you, lady. I
1: like cocktail
0: yeah. hour. <laughs> We've all been having a lot of cocktail hour these days. The mission of the authority really focuses on two things, which is education about broadband and accessibility throughout Maine. And before we start talking about accessibility, let's talk a little bit about the education piece of it. Are there challenges. I have a feeling that since COVID, they may be less, but are there challenges in helping Mainers and even legislators understand that technology and connectivity really has an important role in quality of life and place for people?
1: Yes. And I think that you're right. Since COVID, that conversation has changed tremendously. But nevertheless, there is still a lot of conversations about what do you really need? And, you know, can't you get by with? And it's those conversations are really not focused on the future, nor are they focused on a sort of even the immediate future of what people need for access to both upload and download the work that they're doing, the work their kids are doing, telemedicine, all of that stuff. And then there's the big piece, which we're still working across the country on, which is justifying the Expense, right? So, what is the return on investment for a public investment in broadband? What What is it that the community, if they're going to invest their own money, or if the state, if they're going to invest taxpayer money, what is it we get back for that? And I think some of that is you sort of think about and think, well, people are connected; they can do more work, they can do. But the hard numbers around what that means are just beginning to come out on a national level, and they're quite astounding. You know. Before COVID, which seems to be all the conversations we have now, it's like the pre-COVID, post-COVID, which is the suggestion was that a company could save like uh, $11,000 a year if, I, if somebody works from home and an employee you could save up to $4,000 a year. I think those numbers are going to get harder in terms of the reality of them. But I've been working at home since March and you know I have a pretty good car for gas mileage and I used to fill up every two weeks. Twelve miles, twenty-four miles round trip. I filled up four times since March, so that's like a really, very real savings for my own use. And that kind of economic justification about what it does for your community, for the real estate value, for people moving in, for kids staying, for elderly to be uh, able to get connected either socially or through telemedicine to their doctors, and for the small businesses and the other businesses in your community have access to the internet. That data is just beginning to come forward. I think that data is going to make a significant difference as people begin to have these conversations.
0: Well, I hope so because it's not an inexpensive undertaking to get everybody connected. And it's like electricity was and telephones were 100 years ago. So hopefully people will come around.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the ways I look at it is that, you know, my town paves about two miles of road a year, you know, repaves. And that budget is usually three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars for the two miles, right? Broadband is about thousand, about thirty thousand dollars a mile. It can be a little higher than that, can be a little lower than that, but that's a rough average, about thirty thousand dollars a mile. So if you think about that, you know you have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a mile to repay, or thirty thousand dollars a mile to connect. You know it is a, a public investment that has a payback,
0: right? And it has a longer shelf life than paving.
1: <laughs> it does. It does considerably longer,
0: actually. (laughs) Okay, so as far as the actual availability of broadband throughout the state, I know that you have numbers of how many are connected and how many people we still need to connect. And for people that are listening from out of state, what the Connect Maine Authority does is administer a grant program, a competitive grant program that initially was for infrastructure projects and has since added planning projects for broadband expansion. And so I'd like you to tell me, it's kind of a two-part question. What was the history on that? What did it look like when the authority was founded? What has happened to funding going forward? And then the second part of that question, for anybody who hasn't heard... The voters of Maine recently overwhelmingly supported a $15 million bond for broadband infrastructure that is going to be administered by the authority. So how has that been a game changer? Or will it be a game changer?
1: So originally, uh, when Connect Maine was founded about in 2006, we are one of the first and oldest state programs in the country. And our budget comes from a small fee that's based on the revenue essentially of landlines which, as you can guess, is sort of a declining revenue source. So we have an annual budget of somewhere about $1.2 million a year. That's to cover grants and operations. It's not a lot of money. And for many years, Connect Maine provided small grants to providers, internet service providers, to build out small pieces of their internet service providing footprint, right? So if you had part of town that you didn't serve at all, we would provide you a grant so that you could bring service to that part of town. A couple things changed in 2015 and 2016. 2015, we added the community planning process. And I think what happened is that what we discovered is that an internet service provider by themselves has a hard time sort of going in a community and just walking up and down Main Street and saying broadband for sale, broadband for sale. And The community planning grant allows that community to understand the importance of broadband to that community, interact with service providers, not just their local service providers, but other service providers that might be interested in bringing service to their community, and really begin to have both a conversation about use and value. And that conversation is, I refer to it as like, it's like duct tape, where the, a provider can come in and there's actually something to grab there. There's a little sticky tape that they can grab a hold of so that they can understand that there's actually gonna be a take rate, which is how many people are gonna to subscribe to the service, which helps them justify the expense. So that's essentially the community planning process. It's been we've got community planning processes going on in Franklin County and Oxford County, and we've done some in Piscataquis County and Lincoln County and you know Hancock County. So essentially all across the state, there have been communities engaged in this process and some of those communities have been able to come back in for an infrastructure grant, which is the grant that we provide that builds out actual infrastructure. The other thing that happened in 2016, I think it was, is we changed what we call the build standard. It used to be that we, you could build out sort of any kind of network and make sort of any kind of service. And in 2016, the Connect Maine Authority sort of said, you know what, if we're going to invest in building our networks, we better make sure they're as future-proof as we can get. So they set a build standard that had a minimum of a 10 megabits per second upspeed. And upspeed is really important in Maine. It's important across the country, but it's downspeed is how the world talks to us, so it's how you get your Netflix, it's how you get your email. Upspeed is how we talk to the world. So it's your outgoing Zoom call, it's your outgoing photos, it's your outgoing when you talk to your provider, your video to your doctor. All of those things and that all requires more upspeed than the traditional Direct service line a DSL line can really cover, um, and now under uh, with COVID, what we find is that we have two and three people at home, maybe four, doing Zoom calls and whatnot. And you really do need a much faster upspeed than the traditional copper DSL line can provide. So those were two significant changes that really changed the direction of how we do grants. So now we have grants that come in that are not just for sort of. What I refer to as the small dark holes in somebody's service area. We have grants that come in for an entire community. This last round, we had a grant come in for the areas of Carthage, Weld, parts of Wilton, a couple townships in there, and Temple, which is a, a very big, pretty rural area of Southern Franklin County. That's a significant area for us to cover, right? There's a lot of lot of uncovered area in there. It was really the first time we had that kind of big grant, and we know that this chunk of money to let, that the people of Maine just voted on is going to help us provide more of those kinds of opportunities. You know before we had a very the grants were you you've applied for a bunch of them the grants are, are small. You know you know that we have a limited pool of money somewhere usually between $500,000 and 700,000 a year to give out. And so people come in with smaller grants, right? Because you know that you really can't apply for a big grant because there's not a lot of money there. With this Larger chunk of money, I think people are going to be able to be thinking about building up much larger networks to serve much more people. And that's very exciting to me, that we can actually, for the first time, begin to fund some of these community planning grants that come in, uh, community plans that come in, as well as build out a lot more. of But, caution, we estimate that there is something like 85,000 locations in Maine that are unserved. That's based on FCC data, which is notoriously bad. It's just not good data. It's not good data across the country. It's not good in Maine. But that's our best guess based on that data. We know it's bigger than that. But based on that number and based on what we think is the actual number of roads that are not served necessarily by cable, we estimate that the hole in Maine for us to fill to get most people served is something like $600 million. So $50 million, even with good match from communities and from providers, let's say we can triple that and make it $45 million. It's a chip, but it's not the entire block. So this $15 million, as important as it is, and as valuable as it is, is not going to get everybody in the state service.
0: That is one big price tag. Yeah. So given that this is, what is it, a 30-fold increase in funds that you're going to be administering?
1: Yeah, I'm not good with math. We normally do about 700000 a year and this will be $15 million, So I a a lot more than 700000
0: Are there things that you're changing within the grant application process or anything that you're doing because this is such a larger pool of money to, I don't know, make it more difficult? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. More discriminating? I I don't know what the word is.
1: Yeah, one of the great things about a state program versus mostly federal programs is that we are really, we can try to be much less bureaucratic and much more responsive to the needs of the applicants. I think the things that we're going to look at changing or adding is a lot more accountability. Right now, because the grants are pretty small, we don't do a lot of checking about what people built. And that's going to have to change. We're really working to not make it burdensome, but we want to make sure that, you know, when a provider comes in and says, okay, I built out this many houses and they're all getting this speed that we can say, okay, let's test that make sure that's true. It's because this is taxpayer money. And so we want to make sure that what people are telling us is actually going to happen. I have no doubt that the providers have always done really what we've asked them to do, but We just wanna be able to answer the question when somebody says, are you sure you built that? They built that. Because I wanna be able to say, yeah, and here's the data that shows that. Again, we wanna make it easy and transparent, but we do need to do a little more of that. The other thing that we are trying to figure out is some way to um, make, we have a scoring process and we've had the same scoring process since we started. And we are now trying to look at whether there is a, a simpler more transparent way potentially to do the scoring process. And one thought is to look at sort of density as a measurement. So in broadband, density is a key factor. Distance and density are the two driving costs of broadband. And what we would like to look at is, is there a way when areas have greater density and therefore need less subsidy for a provider or a community to pay for, whether our grant scoring process can reflect that. So if you're building out to 18 homes per mile, you know you're going to have 18 customers, potentially, which is more than you can have if you're building on an area. It's five homes per mile. So do we need to adjust our subsidy based on that kind of density? That's one of the things I think we're going to be looking at so that we can fund some of the smaller projects that haven't been really that competitive but are really needed. The other thing that we're trying to figure out, and I actually don't know where this is going to go, We get a lot of calls from people who are on the road that didn't get served. So the rest of their community doesn't has pretty good service, but their road just does not. And there's a lot of them across the state like that. And this is true across the country. There's just a lot of people on these roads. And it's hard for us to figure out how we support those people in getting connectivity. But I think that's one of the things we're going to be looking at is, is there a way we can provide grants to those roads or the individuals on those roads so they can get connected. And I don't know what that looks like yet, but we have totally identified that as one of the areas where we have a significant program hole, and we should be
0: trying to figure out how to fill it. That would be amazing. I mean, even from a provider perspective, there's people that we leave in the dark too, you know, pardon the pun, but sometimes it's just too challenging financially to get around it.
1: No, it is. It is. And you know, especially there's lots of ways. I mean, it you know, it, it's a road that nobody lived on year round, so people didn't do it. Or it's a new road that is it just at the wrong part of your network. So in order to reach those people, you have to like boost the service and do all kinds of very expensive stuff. And there's five houses there. And that's just not justified for you to be able to do
0: that. Or there's no poles and there's no infrastructure to get infrastructure to them. Or you need to cross a river or a pond. Yeah, or a bridge. I know it.
1: Yeah. So all of those things, and we're just we're trying to. It's complex, and we are trying to think about how we might do that.
0: Well, I hope you find a solution. Mm, I do too. If a community, as you mentioned, we have been, otelco has been recipient of a good number of grants over the last few years. But if a community is interested, or there's a couple of people in a community interested, what? would they do? Would they come to the Connect Me Authority to... They can call us. We'll
1: be happy to talk to them. We have on our website the community planning grant applications, which are very simple to fill out. You do not need a consultant to do what we have. We have two phases. We have a phase one and a phase two. And phase one is really the getting your stuff together. And phase two is the figuring out how you're going to get it done. And for phase one, you really do not need a consultant. You know, you need somebody with some facilitation skills, but it really, it's a simple application. There is a pre-certification checklist, which essentially is, here are the things you should do when you're putting together a broadband committee. Here are the people, the kinds of people you should get engaged. And there are people like people, small business people, people from education, the librarian, all of those people. And so it gives those communities sort of a starting map. Of where to start.
0: And so is this geared for anybody? Could it be Joe Public or a planning director for a municipality or a town manager or a local school teacher who realizes the need thanks to COVID? I mean, anybody can apply for these grants, correct?
1: Yes. I mean, you have to, if you're going to apply, you have to apply with your community. And that community is, I mean, that could be your town, it could be a larger neighborhood, it could be several towns. I mean, you can't apply, you know, just for yourself, obviously, because. That's not a community planning grant. And we do recommend, highly recommend that you engage your town officials in this because at some point you're going to need support from your community, whether that is actual money or the ability to mail everybody in town to tell them what's going on, to do a survey, all of those types of things. So we strongly recommend that you engage the selectmen and your town manager as part of this process but it really takes a champion and the champion can come from anywhere in the
0: community. Okay, and this is the part of the podcast when we get toward the end that I talk about a crystal ball. And when we talk to businesses who've evolved through technology over the last 40 years, we ask them, what do you think your business is gonna look like in 40 years or in another 20 years? In your case, what do you see... So there's $15 million, hopefully will be parlayed into triple. Obviously, as you said, that's not enough. What are the steps going forward? And in five or 10 years, where would you like to see things where the authority is concerned and where connectivity in Maine is concerned? Because it's not going to happen overnight. We know that.
1: So in 10 years, I want to see everybody's connected. In five years, I'd love to see everybody connected. I think that's a little ambitious. But in 10 years, certainly this is a doable problem, especially if we build out these sort of future-proof technologies now with fiber and other to get, it's a doable, we can do this. It is not insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination. And so the thing that I think the challenge is, once we get everybody connected, right, it's simple, easy to do, the challenges that remain are how do we make it affordable So that you don't just have a wire running by your house, but you can afford to connect into that wire. How do you make it affordable and how do you make sure everybody knows how to use it? And that isn't just being able to download email, though, that's part of it. It really is understanding the value of this utility and what it can really do to enhance businesses, to enhance community civic engagement to enhance medicine. What is the potential for the network once everybody's connected and everybody can afford to be connected? And, you know, I don't even know how many years ago now, it wasn't that many years ago, where the largest hotel chain in the world actually owned beds. They don't anymore. Airbnb is the largest hotel chain. They don't own anything. They don't own, it's all technology-based. And that's what they call sort of the gig economy. And it allows me, if I could tolerate other people, to rent out my spare room and make some money. So that's the kind of thing that the internet can happen. And we don't even know what those things are. Nobody could envision Airbnb.
0: Or Uber. Or Uber. Or Instacart. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And so I think that the possibilities are endless as soon as we begin to connect with each other. But we have to make sure that people can afford the connection, they can get a good connection, and that they know how to use it. I think those are the significant challenges for every state agency and for all federal agencies. We're all really focused right now on how to run that wire by your house, but we can't ignore the next piece, which is how do we make sure you can afford this service?
0: And so what do you see as the future of funding? Because it's pretty certain that telephone lines are going to continue to decline And this bond is a one-time, obviously the first time, I don't want to say a one-time, but do you see some sustainable mechanism for funding going forward? And I may have thrown you a curve, I'm sorry.
1: You haven't thrown me a curve. I think there are significant possibilities. Our statute gives us pretty broad authority to do a whole variety of things. And I think that we will be looking at sort of where can we get other revenue streams from that. Can help pay for both the operations of the program as well as the grant programs that we have. I think we'll always need, until we get everybody connected, some form of bonds. We're never going to have six hundred million dollars flowing through our door, no matter what we do. So we'll always need, and just and just like transportation, transportation always needs bond issues, and it's a good investment for the state because it is a long-term capital expense that has a positive payback, and so. You know, as we are paying low interest rate, the state is paying low interest rate on the bond as we build out these networks, they are generating tax revenue and generating personal income and generating wealth in our community. So it's a good investment, and it's a good way to fund this kind of capital investment. So I think that we will be digging in to try to find other more sustainable forms of larger revenue so that we can sustain this program sort of between bond rounds but it will always require some form of bond
0: until we get everybody built out. Right. Well, I thank you. You and I could talk forever. I mean, we talked for a half an hour before we even hit the record button just now. Please share with everybody the website because you know it by heart and I don't. So people can visit the Connect Me Authority website and any parting words that you might have
1: here's the challenge that we have right now. Everybody wants to be connected, right? Because they have to do homework or they have to call or they have to work from home. And these are networks. They have to be connected to each other and they take time to build. So make sure if you are not connected in your community that you begin to talk to others in your community to get connected because that's the only way this is going to solve. Nobody's going to bring broadband to your house without bringing it to your neighbor's house. So make sure to begin to have those conversations that is how we solve this puzzle in Maine. And our website is maine.gov backslash connect me backslash home.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go because I know Fridays are a crazy day for you. And we're recording this on a Friday. I appreciate your time. And uh, I will talk to you soon, I'm sure. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Evolution Digital. I'm Tracy Sheckel and I hope you'll join us again next time. If there's a conversation that you'd like to have here on the podcast, or you know of someone who would make an interesting guest, please visit otelco.com forward slash evolution digital and complete the submission form with your idea. Until next time, stay well.